0: Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But if you're ready to level up your life and get results that truly matter in your health, business, mindset, and relationships, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Sheer Madness, where we have unscripted real conversations with the world's top athletes, entrepreneurs, and coaches. Discover real world and tactical advice from the best in the business. Let's go. Hippocrates said that all disease begins and ends in the gut. So today I have with me an expert in all things gut health. And as a nutritionist myself, I am so excited about today's episode. Today I have with me Dr. Ken Brown. He received his medical degree from the University of Nebraska Medical School and completed his fellowship in gastroenterology in San Antonio, Texas. He is a board-certified gastroenterologist and has been in practice for over 15 years with a clinical focus on inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. Dr. Brown's mission is to bridge the gap between medical and natural science. For over a decade, he has been conducting clinical research for various pharmacologic companies, and he has recognized an unmet need for something natural that could help his IBS patients find relief. After developing the only all natural and clinically proven answer for IBS and bloating for over six years, Atrantil launched in the summer of 2015. Dr. Brown has also clinically tested CBD in addition to Atrantil to help his patients find relief from inflammation in a safe and affordable manner. He's helping others improve their health on his podcast, The Gut Check Project. With his co host, Eric Rieger, with the ultimate goal of not just improving lifespan, but improving health span. So, without further ado, I have Dr. Kenneth Brown.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on Sheer Madness. And yeah. congratulations on your new show. I hear it's going amazing.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm super excited to have you on today because, as a nutritionist, more on the functional medicine side, I work with a lot of clients who deal with functional gut disorders. And as you know, I've dealt with my fair share of gut issues as well too. So that's what actually got me more on the functional side as well, is I went through a long road of gut issues where I was diagnosed with IBS, or an irritable bowel syndrome. And I did everything from the colonoscopy to endoscopy, CT scan, MRI, and everyone was just like, you're in perfect health. You know, maybe take some probiotics or some laxatives. And I was sent on my way, where I had debilitating bloating, distension, could really go to the bathroom. So I know the effect that IBS can really have on your quality of life. And I really am not a fan of that term either, (laughs) IBS, because it's really not a diagnosis at all. It's just an accumulation of symptoms. So we now know, though, that most cases of IBS comes down to what is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And the audience may not be very familiar with what SIBO is, or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, which I know is your area of expertise. Can you elaborate a little bit on what exactly is SIBO and how you got into that?
1: Absolutely. Um, th- that is a, your story is so common. This is what I end up seeing all the time. But more importantly, before I get into that, you have something in your lap that I can't quit.
0: looking <laughs> I have not announced our uh, second <laughs> guest here today. I was excited about <laughs> Dr. Brown, but... We do have here Lily. Oh, oh, oh,
1: look at you!
0: (laughs) Lily is going to be our second guest on the show today. This is her first airing, so it was just it was the
1: elephant in the room. I am sitting here looking at this cute little dog that's sleeping on your lap, and this little uh, elephant. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, exactly. So, I am a I am a gastroenterologist, which Mm -hmm. is a specialist in the gut, and I am a firm believer that all health begins and ends in the gut. Mm -hmm. If you do not have a healthy gut then you cannot have a healthy life. And we now know that inflammation is the root cause of all disease. Yes. So if you have inflammation in your gut or you don't feel well, then ultimately, we're now linking that to so many other diseases that happen later in life. So the fact that you get told that, you're, that you have irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, that is kind of a trash can term where it's yeah. like, oh, and you kind of feel, as a patient, you feel very bad because you get patted on the head and you're like, good news, everything was normal. And then you walk out, but you still feel miserable.
0: Yeah. They're like, you're you're great. You're in perfect you're health. You're great. And I'm like, mm, no, not so much.
1: <laughs> well, now we realize that maybe we have to fix you, even if it's all the labs are normal and everything, because we need to protect the future Rachel. We need mm-hmm. to protect Rachel's brain when she's 50. We need to protect Rachel's heart when she's 50 because if we allow this inflammation to happen this whole time then a lot of things can go on and that's sort of my approach and how I went from a uh, allopathic or traditional style of education to functional when I started looking at this going whoa this is way bigger than what we think and if we don't protect the gut if we don't heal the gut or the intestines, whatever word you want to have, then this is just going to lead to more problems down the line. And that's why I developed a huge passion about 10 years or so ago when I really dove deep into this whole process of how do we help people from the inside? I mean, if you break break an egg from the outside, the bird will die. If you let it heal and grow from the inside, life comes. And that's kind of how I view it and how I tell my patients. Mm -hmm. I get that you can put up with these symptoms, but we need to protect you. We need to protect your future self. And it all comes down to that.
0: Yeah. The way I like to describe functional medicine for those who don't know what it is, is it's really just a root cause approach. So we're really looking at why do we have a problem in the first place and what can we do to restore function? And our body is a highly interconnected system. So oftentimes when one area becomes imbalanced, it affects a whole host of other areas as well too. So for example, when the gut's imbalanced, we get neurological effects, we get hormone imbalances, we get um, sometimes metabolic issues as well too, just because of the gut controls so many different systems throughout the body. And that's essentially what functional medicine does. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And so this whole whole movement that's gone on, I think that the functional medicine movement, which was really spearheaded by, let's just call it naturopathic doctors, but a group that has been very open to everything are nutritionists, just like yourself. Because you've seen that when you can change a diet in somebody, that their health will actually improve. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, we know that you're doing a fundamental thing. So when you change the diet, what's going on? You're improving their gut health. You're improving Mm -hmm. their overall health. This um, over, well, now we're getting to 15 years ago, but uh, 15 years ago, I was doing pharmaceutical research and really deep into that where drug companies would develop new drugs and they would come to me and I was doing research for them. That's when I met a guy named Dr. Mark Pimentel, who was a pioneer in this field, where he had animal models, where he showed that if you put an animal under stress or gave it antibiotics, then bacteria would start to grow where it shouldn't. And he's the one that came up with the whole idea of SIBO or bacterial overgrowth as the root cause of irritable bowel syndrome. So when everybody else is saying, you have IBS, and move on, and then eventually you get frustrated, you you go to a different doctor, you get more procedures done, you spend a lot of money to do this. He had animal models showing that no, it comes down to bacteria. And what we're learning in the functional medicine side is that it probably all is bacteria, both bacteria growing where it shouldn't be, or your own microbiome affecting everything. And there's tons of data coming out with that. So it was then that I realized, oh my gosh, we have this process that's going on. And I was doing clinical research for a drug called zyfaxin mm-hmm. and they um, eventually got approval for irritable bowel with diarrhea. Dr. Pimentel said, unfortunately, we'll never be able to help the people with irritable bowel with constipation because the type of bacteria that is creating the constipation, none of our antibiotics work on.
0: Is it, it's not even a bacteria, is it?
1: It's an archaeobacter, okay. if you want to get all science yeah. about it. Yeah. So it's in its own class. There's fungi, archaea, and then bacteria or eukaryotes over here. So then you start getting into old school science. You're like, man, I remember reading about this in med school. I should probably dust off some of those books. And I went to the University of Nebraska. In this particular case, is relevant because in Nebraska, that is a, a large farming and livestock area of the country. Nebraska, Iowa. And they were trying to mandate that farmers put certain food products in to decrease methane production in these cattle for the greenhouse effect. So I had this aha moment where I was like, oh, my goodness, look at this. If we can stop methane in humans, we can help with IBS with constipation. Because as it turns out, when we produce methane gas, it slows everything down. And then that creates constipation, bloating and constipation. And that's what sent me down this whole path where I'm like, well, if modern day antibiotics don't work, then what if something natural, old school Mm -hmm. works? And that's when we discovered that if you combine three polyphenols, and I say polyphenols because those are the molecules that are the good molecules in the Mediterranean diet. Those are the things that make vegetables colorful. They're the ones that actually help get rid of this. So not only are you changing
0: polyphenols which is essentially what gives vegetables and fruit or just vegetables Vegetables and fruit vegetables and fruit the bright colors that they have yeah those have been shown to have positive effects on the gut bacteria
1: yes in a really cool way because as it turns out these polyphenols not only understand to get rid of the bacteria these polyphenols have certain mechanisms in them to protect them in nature Well, we're taking advantage of that, and it can actually get rid of the bacteria that's growing in the wrong place, but then it can feed your bacteria, and then the Mm -hmm. bacteria in your microbiome, in your colon, where it should be, actually converts it to beneficial things. So it's a a win-win, and that's when we discovered this, and I realized in our initial studies we were really doing well with the IBS constipation group, but then everybody came back and said, I want to keep taking it. I just feel better. And then that's when we started realizing, oh my goodness, we really discovered something really cool here.
0: With the polyphenols?
1: With atrantil Atrantil being a combination of polyphenols that we developed strictly for irritable bowel. Okay. And now we're getting this benefit that we see long-term.
0: Okay. So let's rewind a little bit. Um, You're talking about the product atrantil, which you created geared towards constipation predominant bacteria overgrowth. That the was gut, the correct?
1: initial studies that we okay. did on it. Okay. Yeah. And
0: you found that the polyphenols had a positive effect on the gut bacteria.
1: Yes. Okay. So you, as in, you in the field of nutrition and in functional medicine, not to throw too much at you, but we people are usually familiar with the term probiotic. Mm-hmm. And then they're familiar, some are familiar with prebiotic. And now we're into a whole new level. It's called postbiotic. Meaning when you take in Complex polysaccharides or you take in certain fibers that your body can't digest Mm -hmm. like these polyphenols your own bacteria will break it down into beneficial things for your body like anti-aging molecules like anti-inflammatory molecules. And that is the really new, exciting field that a lot of scientists are heading towards.
0: So I actually take a re- Reservatrol, yes. which is a type of a polyphenol, which has shown with studies for mainly for anti-aging. So would that be in that same category? Would res- re- Reservatrol have the same benefit as the polyphenols you're describing?
1: No. So each one of these polyphenols is okay. a very complex thing. So okay. the reason why our main workhorse in Atrontil is one called Tebracho, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Cabracho Blanco, because on a quick side note, when we launched the product, Cabracho Blanco is a completely different molecule. And it has other types of things in it, and it's a stimulant. And so people were very concerned when we first launched that when you start looking at these kind of new ingredients that people are not very familiar with, Cabracho Colorado is a large molecule. And we needed it to not be absorbed because in the small intestine where the bacteria are, I needed it to get rid of those bacteria producing the bad things. So if you go through stress, take antibiotics, or get sick, then you change the motility of the intestines, the Mm -hmm. bacteria can grow. So when you start looking at all these polyphenols, it's a science unto itself. It's really fascinating. Reservatrol was one that was actually looked at, and then that became the one that got studied. And then you've heard of things like turmeric or Mm -hmm. curcumin and then you have quercetin, and then you have all these. These are all subsets of polyphenols, okay. smaller molecules. Well, the reason why I think we have so much more success than people just taking one of those is that the Cabracho plus the horse chestnut work specifically to get rid of the bacteria, but then they go undigested into the colon, where then it gets broken down into these smaller molecules like the quercetin, like the resveratrol, like things like that. So... But Reservatrol has been studied and has shown some very beneficial effects for anti-aging. I think that we're going to learn more and more about which ones do what and what postbiotics they produce in the future. So okay. it's really exciting.
0: So I know you created Autrantil. Am I saying that correctly? Autrantil. Uh, Autrantil. Uh, like, like, um, I know.
1: <laughs> no, trust me. If we want to get into a whole business show, I'll tell you about, <laughs> about me about stepping on uh, land Autrantil. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, mainly created for people who have um, bacterial overgrowth that's constipation predominant due to the methane production, which is a lot harder to treat than it is the hydrogen production, which is typically treated with just the vac- Zifaxin. Um, can people benefit taking teal if they don't have bacteria overgrowth for just general gut health reasons?
1: A hundred percent. So what we've learned is if you have bloating and change in bowel habits, either constipation or diarrhea, and some people use the term mixed where they're like, well, I'm neither. I just kind of go back and forth. We call that mixed IBSM. We know that it all comes down to bacteria. So after we did our studies on really the worst of the worst, now after being out on the market for five years and millions sold, we realize now that we can have benefit in people that actually produce diarrhea also. Interestingly, when you eat starches, the bacteria will will let off gases. Mm -hmm. Now we even know that if hydrogen sulfide is formed, people will end up having diarrhea. If methane is formed, they'll end up having constipation. And now we're seeing that there's it fluctuates back and forth. So you have this constantly moving target. Fortunately, it's Mother Nature. Mother Nature figures it out. And that's mm-hmm. why we think we're having so much success.
0: Okay. And for those of you who aren't very familiar with SIBO, otherwise known as small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, essentially what this is, is we get bacteria which mainly resides in the colon that travels up upstream into the small intestine where we're really not supposed to have a lot of bacteria there. And then when we eat specific types of carbohydrates, um, we get fermentation that happens in the small intestine. and whatever the type of bacteria may be, may produce a hydrogen gas, a methane gas, which is gonna cause a lot of the symptoms of the chronic bloating, the distension, sometimes constipation and diarrhea a lot of those irritable bowel syndromes. So what Dr. Kenneth Brown has done is he's created a more natural type supplement to help treat the methane predominant bacteria overgrowth, which is going to be more constipation predominant. But it does have a lot of benefits for people who don't have SIBO and just had various bloating per se
1: yeah we've gotten to the point where we realize it's more of much more we started out in the deep end of the pool and we've worked our way to the shallow and we realized oh we're a bloating product if you eat and you feel that you don't as a female that you don't fit well into the dress that you did the day before if you, guys it's really funny because even as a nutritionist i'm sure you see mm-hmm. this the way that men and women describe their symptoms it's a little bit different women yeah. are much more in tune to their bodies Men will be like, I don't know, I'll ask them if they're bloated, and they're like, yeah, no, 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 I'm not bloated. But when I eat, I hurt. Well, if you're hurting, we have stretch receptors. It's probably bloating, you're just not using the same words. So communicating and how you actually say it is something else that we're learning. Because as a physician, I'll talk a certain way, and then later I'll find out that we're saying the same thing. We're just using different words to describe the symptoms.
0: So I know you mentioned inflammation at the beginning as being one of the root causes of most disease. Would you say that's one of the main causes of SIBO or what are some other reasons why people do develop SIBO or IBS?
1: Oh boy. Okay. So this is where my research is headed right now. Um, we know that when you have a change in the way that the that your bowels move the way that your intestines move i don't want to say bowels people think colon so the way that your intestines move it is built to keep that area basically sterile then something happens and then bacteria start to grow here's the kicker and this is why i'm so passionate about trying to fix this when you have the bacteria growing there and they produce they start feeding they have a little party So basically, you have people living where they shouldn't be. They're squatters. Then you feed them. Uh, Most of the time, they love carbohydrates. And so if you give them carbohydrates, they will eat usually hard to digest carbohydrates. Fibers. Uh, Fibers, gluten, things like that. mm -hmm. So they start throwing a little party. And then they produce all this gas. And they do this. Well, the body reacts to that going, that's not normal. So they try. the body tries to get rid of it on its own. And what ends up happening is it creates this little fight that's going on, which leads to intestinal permeability or something called leaky gut, Mm -hmm. which we've been saying leaky gut for 10 years. And now finally, you've got the Mayo Clinic talking about leaky gut. Now you've got other doctors that have been, you know, poo-pooing this thing. Like there is no such thing as SIBO. There is no such thing as leaky gut. There is no, but then how do you explain what's going on? Mm -hmm. So finally, now the academic doctors are starting to get on board with this a little bit. Once you create leaky gut, intestinal permeability, that's what turns on the inflammatory process that can go anywhere in your body. It's no longer just in your gut, which is why I always say, even if you can tough out your IBS, are we sure it's not doing more damage? Um,
0: and causes, though, of leaky gut as well, too, because that a lot of that comes back to diet, so foods that are... Difficult to digest, such as sometimes the gluten for somebody, grains as well to more inflammatory foods, um, industrial seed oils, vegetable oils. All of those have been shown to be contributing factors towards leaky gut, along with lifestyle change or lifestyle, so st- chronic stress, medications. All of those things have been contributing factors for a leaky gut, and that's what causes inflammation.
1: Absolutely. So okay. if we know that if you have SIBO or if you have zonulin produced, which is a reaction mm-hmm. to gluten, or if you have an infection or different diets that are inflammatory. I mean, I, can, I've got, I mean, I've just got tens of thousands of articles where I'm just like, wow, how are we not talking about this more often? Like yeah. how when you have glyphosate, how it can actually affect the intestinal permeability. Glyphosate is what we spray in our crops. So when you start eating lots of industrial crops, when you start adding that to packaged foods where they put all kinds of preservatives, that affects your gut. And as a physician, I'm looking at this going, wait a minute, we have more autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. we have more cancer, we have more cardiovascular disease than this is the first generation that is actually having cancer sooner than their parents were. We don't have a one reason for it, but certainly... There's something going on. If you look at the European nation, we have a lot more diabetes. We have a lot more problems, um, coronary vascular disease, strokes, and things like that than they do, um, or at least certain countries. And I am I think it comes down to diet. I think it comes down to the Mediterranean diet. And then you look at different countries that have started adapting the American diet, and they start showing up with the same diseases that we have.
0: The sad diet. The, the sad. standard American diet. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So when we realize that everything comes down to inflammation, mm-hmm. they have taken, um, and I mean now when researchers just start diving into this, I have this incredible um, the person that reached out to me from Sweden, and I on, on our show on the Get Check Project, I interviewed her, and she is a classic example of somebody who was trying really hard to correct her IBS, knowing that something was wrong, and she got a fecal microbial transplant. And it set off a whole horrible event where she lost her job. She's had tremendous weight loss. She's got alopecia where her hair is falling out. She developed uh, autoimmune thyroid issues. She developed Ehlers-Danlos, which actually is a hyperflexibility.
0: Mm -hmm. I I have a little bit of that. Do you really? I do. When yeah. I went to the Mayo Clinic, I, was, I found I had a slight genetic defect for ehlers danlos
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what we're learning is that these, these microbiome or your microbiome can turn on different mm. genes in your body. It's called an epigenetic phenomenon. That's
0: so crazy. Oh,
1: don't even get me started. I mean, now we're, I mean, I will geek out for hours <laughs> on this because. It's uh, um, so
0: fascinating,
1: though. They took, um, they looked at Parkinson's patients. And they found that their gut, they started having gut issues 10 years before they started having neurologic issues. Then they started looking back at these people going, oh my gosh, the warning sign was the gut mm-hmm. all along. There's a woman, there's a study that came out, or not, not even a study, it was just a news article that I thought was really wild, a woman that could smell Parkinson's because her husband started having this unique smell, like a—I think it was a musty smell, and She Mm. was talking about how, and then when she started going to Parkinson's support group, everybody started talking about it. So these scientists brought her in. She's like a super smeller. And so they started putting um, sebum from different patients or oil from different patients. And she could say, they tried to like stump her. And she's like, I think this one has Parkinson's. This one doesn't. And she was right. So then what they're doing is they're realizing that there's a byproduct somewhere producing this. Is it a postbiotic? More than likely. It's more than likely the mm-hmm. microbiome is changing something, producing more of something, resulting in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's.
0: So beyond just the gut that we tend to think of, digestion, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, our gut health really affects our brain. And I can, I can relate to that completely because when I had all of my gut issues at its peak, I was the most depressed I had ever been. I was... Anxiety was at its peak. I mean, I felt awful. I mean, not to mention my quality of life was poor, but just from a neurological standpoint, I mean, I felt I was in a terrible place.
1: So the, oh.
0: yeah, <laughs> got a little squeaker.
1: Lily, Lily felt bad that you were in a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, I don't want that. Um, <laughs> the, um, this is a whole new concept, but now they're proving it. And I love this. Like scientists are now going, no, let's just prove it in the lab. When doctors say, oh, there's no science to it or anything like that, I get a lot of patients that come to me and I'm third, fourth opinion. And just being open-minded to go, man, it's a possibility is more than they get because most of the time they get told, no, there's no science on it. But when you start looking at it, there was a study that came out where they soaked human intestinal tissue in inflammatory Markers that we produce and it gets real geeky, but basically they soak it in what we would consider Inflammation okay. and then they showed that the intestinal tissue leaked So they put in different size molecules and they could show that it went through and then they took the blood brain barrier Which is the barrier It should be a semi permeable your brain decides what it wants to let in it needs nutrients but it really doesn't want a whole lot of things They did the same thing, and it showed that the blood brain barrier leaked. Then they looked at human studies where people that had more depression, and then they checked their inflammatory markers, and they realized that they were producing more inflammation, and they were producing more short chain fatty acids, which is a byproduct of bacteria, Mm -hmm. that resulted in higher lactate levels. And that group had more depression, anxiety, sleep disturbance. So all these times we're looking at people saying, you're just depressed. Here, take this antidepressant. We're not saying, hey, maybe we should just change your diet before we throw you on. Paxil. Exactly. Or whatever.
0: I mean, that's exactly what functional medicine does. Is it says someone comes in with depression and we're like, okay, well, let's try to figure out why you're depressed. You know, let's try to get to that root cause. But with most Western medicine, they do. They do that. They just give you an antidepressant. And then you're like, well, now my gut hurts and I have all these other things going on. And you know, we just go, we're just chasing our tails, essentially. And I like to call it like that band-aid approach. We're addressing all these different symptoms. It's kind of like the <laughs> same that say someone who's obese you know we give them a statin we give them something for high blood pressure we give them maybe something if they're diabetic for insulin it's like well they probably have a lot of other things going on as well too hormone imbalances maybe some gut issues now too and we're just chasing our tail addressing all these symptoms but what we really need to do is get back to that root cause
1: you're uh, a nutritionist but you're also into training physical activity you stay in shape yeah And people will sit there and they'll come to me as a gastroenterologist and they'll go, I don't get it. I'm not eating very much at all. I'm gaining weight. I get all these people that come to me and they're like, this is crazy. Ever since I started becoming bloated, I'm gaining more weight. Mm -hmm. I can't stop it. I've had patients that have gotten microbial transplants from a sibling, meaning they're going to take poop from one person, put it in another. Whole separate discussion. But this is (laughs) actually a field of science. It's fascinating. Oh, it's so fascinating because the sibling that got the poop from the healthy one and they were doing it for a disease ended up having acne, ended up putting on weight, ended up having these changes. Mm. And this can be replicated in multiple different case studies and you can actually do this in animal models. So what we're looking at is, wait a minute, your diet, if you don't feed your own microbiome what it needs, then it will actually produce more of what that particular bacteria wants and it mm-hmm. sends signals. So you have these people who are like, I don't get it, I'm craving sugar like crazy. Yes. You almost have to break this cycle and go, you've got little microbes in you, you've got your microbiome, sending a signal to your brain that says go eat. And they actually have models, um, and I always say this because everything that I talk about, I'm trying to bridge the gap between traditional medicine yeah. and natural solutions. So I I'm, I may be a not a very good podcast guest, but because when I talk, I want people to understand that where I'm coming from is not really opinion. It's based on science. Yeah. And so everything that I – everything I discuss is referencing some study. So it gets a little geeky, but it's really exciting. I,
0: know, I think that's very much needed as oh, well too because everyone – from the, let's say, the nutrition world, everyone's like, my diet's the best, my diet's the best, and they have all these different misinformation, but everyone, you know, it's not ever backed by science in the nutrition world, ever. I mean, very rarely.
1: I will call up some of these scientists that that have done this bench research, and they get so excited that somebody read their article, because they put a lot of time and effort into it. I'm like, this is so fascinating that you showed that when you change the microbial mix, that that person produced more um, acetic acid or that person produced more Mm -hmm. propionate or that uh, person produced more lactate than butyrate. And then they developed diabetes, insulin resistance. They started gaining weight. And then they replicated that in animals where if you increased um, uh, lactate and acetate, then some of these and propionate, those three different short-chain fatty acids, which bacteria produce, Then all of a sudden you become insulin resistant. So, Mm -hmm. And I only say that because I have these so frustrated patients. And you as a nutritionist probably be like, I want to lose weight. I'm doing everything you're saying. What's going wrong? Exactly. Um, It could be letting them know that some of this may be because you have bacteria and we need Mm -hmm. to take time to change your microbiome is a little ray of hope.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what's a lot of hard... difficult I should say for people to understand is they think just because they don't have gut issues that they don't or like when I say gut issues they don't have IBS like symptoms they don't have the chronic bloating the distension you know anything like that so they're like my gut's fine I have nothing wrong with it as well too where that could be leading to things like obesity depression a lot of these other symptoms as well too
1: brain fog is my most common symptom Mm -hmm. and brain fog is just the term I ask people I'm like do you feel like you're just not functioning right or you feel like you're in a fog and they go yes it's the first time i ever said that because the inflammation kind of just
0: not many doctors would ask that do you it, have brain fog <laughs> yeah
1: and I say that because yeah. if, if they tell me that they're bloated and they tell me that they are having um whatever constellation of symptoms when I say brain fog they just kind of look at me like are you kidding that is exactly what I feel like I feel like I'm kind of like a zombie walking around and and then I know immediately we've got inflammation and it's going to the brain and we need to stop this process because it's no longer just IBS. It, this could be a life changing slash life saving thing. That's why I get into the whole deal of we may be living longer, but are we, what, what is our health span? Are we enjoying ourselves? Are we? If you lived to 90 in the last 10 years, you're demented in a nursing home. That's not living. If yeah. you're enjoying your life and you're with your grandkids and your great grandkids and you're able to move around and do all that, that starts now. That starts from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And that person you want to be, that's the person that you have to... When I work out, I heard the best thing. Um, I was listening to um, uh, these guys, Mind Pump uh, Oh yeah, I've heard of, I've heard yeah, of yeah, that in yeah, the yeah, Mind yeah. Pump podcast. Yeah, I downloaded one of their workouts. And um, greatest quote ever was, when I'm working out, because I'm that idiot that will do something till I injure myself. When I'm working out, I always imagine that my personal trainer is my 80-year-old self looking at me going, really? Do you really want to put that extra plate on? Nobody really cares. You're going to throw your back out, you know? I and need so to I take think about some that. of that advice. <laughs> 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 I have been
0: a heavy lifter for years, 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 and I'm uh, 120 pounds, and I used to squat 225 wow yeah. and my lower back has taken a toll so i need to i i don't do that anymore but i definitely need to take some of that advice ego i, <laughs> it goes to I my tell head. myself
1: sometimes i ignore my 80 year old self
0: i uh, good. i didn't remember that but Picture everybody should drive
1: old. around with their 80 year old self at all times do you really want to yeah. go through that drive through do you really need that mcdonald's because i'm going to be stupid mm. if you do this on a regular basis
0: that's a good one. Do you really? I'm gonna start doing that. I know. Start oh thinking <laughs> about your eighty year old self looking at you. Yeah, yeah.
1: And every time I meet somebody who's just completely sharp as attack and they're ninety years old, and I'm just like, Wow, what what is it that you did? I was trying you know, it's that whole thing that that longevity aspect that's going on. Um, I listen to different podcasts and try and research and I realize that I'm just completely falling into this. I'm getting so far away from gut health and getting into health span and brain health and things, but it all still starts at the gut. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to work on different products that we can you know, tweak a few of these things so that this could be something that if you've got a genetic predisposition, meaning, oh, my dad had a heart attack, my mom had a heart attack, my uncle had a heart attack, and I meet a lot of people that are like, it's inevitable, I got bad genes, something's going to happen. Screw it, I'm just going to live my life. No.
0: Well, genes, I mean, your genetics, yes, it plays a role, but your lifestyle in general is going to play a much larger role in your overall health is what I like to tell my clients. Yeah. It's that I mean, it's your diet, stress, all of those things are going to play a role. And, um, question, what would be a way that somebody can increase their microbial diversity in their gut? I'm, of course, an advocate for just nutrition, you know, as one of the best ways to increase that diversity in their gut. Do you have any other tips for somebody or just general gut health tips?
1: <laughs> wow. So this is a, this is a the million dollar question and it's yeah, super loaded. Yeah, yeah. Um, I talked to a Stanford microbiologist Mm -hmm. and asked him that exact same question. I'm like, what would you do? Because what we know, what you just said is microbial diversity. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do a quick sidetrack. This is what happens when you have an ADD guest on your show. So (laughs) a quick sidetrack. A study came out where they looked at personality traits, and they showed that people with more anxiety, introverted, and less likely to seek friends – Had a narrowed microbial diversity. Oh
0: no, I'm an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why I have all my gut issues. We need to
1: (laughs) we need to increase your microbial diversity. Um, But but then they showed that those that had a broader microbial diversity were able to handle stress better. They enjoyed the social interaction. They did that. So this even comes to personality. So when you do this, the microbial diversity is important for everything. If you were to talk, the microbiome is so important, and yet it's so not understood. Like. We have the ability to do certain tests and check stool and stuff. But as doctors, we don't know what to do with that. Yeah. The million-dollar question is, how do you increase diversity? And this uh, Stanford microbiologist told me, look, the reality is I'm just going to try and eat a lot of whole plants to make sure that I get a lot of natural, complex polysaccharides where my bacteria will decide what to do. And this is based off of other cultures, people in the blue zone and things like yeah. that, where they have shown that their, microbi- their microbial diversity is way bigger uh, or way more broad than what we have here and in first world countries where you have the processed foods, you have all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So once you go down that path of the whole McDonald's pathway or whatever, you start feeding the bacteria that you don't want to grow more. And then they grow more and then they send signals like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. Go get more of that. If you start retraining your mi- microbiome to start liking you know, leafy green vegetables, for instance, still I'm not like a, a vegan or anything like that, but I am really trying to incorporate more um, whole plants in my diet. Yeah. And if you can increase the, your microbiome diversity through that, that is probably the most important thing you can do. Now, what is my society recommending for people that have IBS? Go low FODMAP, go SCD, go Elemental, do all these diets. Yeah. And that is to treat the symptoms.
0: And I've used a lot of those in my own nutrition practice. So when looking at someone in their gut health, I'll do a combination of two different things. Is I will put them on, if they come in with a lot of symptoms, a low FODMAP diet. And I almost use that as sort of a diagnostic tool, because most of the time, the people who get a lot of relief by removing those FODMAPs it's going to be bacteria related. So it's like, okay, there's something going on with the microbiome of when I come cut out all of these fermentable carbohydrates that you're getting a lot of relief. I do some stool testing with my clients, but I kind of look at still based off of symptoms. I like to see if there's anything pathogenic where I maybe need to refer them out. That's a little bit beyond my area of expertise. If there's something that, you know, maybe I shouldn't handle. Maybe if it's, if it's yeast, um, So both of those tools I've used quite a bit to help kind of figure out what type of a diet protocol would be best, but I agree with what you said there, where the FODMAP diet, I always tell my clients when I put them on that, this does not fix the root cause. This will help reduce a lot of your symptoms, but we still need to get back to that root cause, whether it be a bacteria overgrowth, gut dysbiosis, leaky gut, chronic inflammation, and we really need to address that, which still comes in with diet oftentimes as well too. So um, I like what you said about the whole foods diet. So that is something I'm definitely an advocate for. So whole foods is just unprocessed, unrefined, local and organic. So without the herbicides, pesticides, which disrupts the gut microbiome. And then from an animal standpoint, it's going to be grass-fed, wild-caught, and pasture-raised. So that is the diet that I put all my clients on, no matter what, uh, because that will bring down a lot of inflammation in of itself, and then kind of tailored to what their Health concerns may be like if they're getting a lot of chronic bloating and distension. We'll move into something like a FODMAP diet as well, too. So here's
1: here's the dilemma where I'm running into. So all of my colleagues are out there recommending this FODMAP, which is just mm-hmm. the fermentable polysaccharides. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of really good foods in that.
0: There. I mean, there
1: are. You've got avocado in there. You've garlic, got in there onion. garlic, onion. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of vegetables that probably would be feeding your microbiome, um, your good microbiome. So Mm -hmm. now I'm running into this dilemma of, okay, I need to treat your symptoms. And now we know that if you stay on the FODMAP too long, you will end up with micronutrient deficiency. Mm -hmm. And then it ends up being this process where people go on the FODMAP and then they try and reintroduce foods and they feel bad again. Mm -hmm. What if the future is that you still need to feed your microbiome and you still need to produce these postbiotics like butyrate, which ultimately will improve the motility and get rid of the SIBO. So here we have this seesaw of how miserable can you feel before we can get your microbiome back in check? Because we have all these chronic people that um, keep coming back. They're like, I felt better on FODMAP and then I tried to eat again and now I'm back to square one. Yeah. so
0: I never try to use it as a long-term approach, but more as a short-term approach just to see if they get a lot of relief. And then we try to find like a finalized dietary protocol as well too, which will work best for them. But then keep trying to reintroduce the foods. FODMAP should never be something that is long-term, like the diet that you eat for the rest of your life. Because like you said, you're cutting out a lot of healthy foods that do feed your microbiome. But if you are in such a gut dysbiosis state i would say i don't know if that's the right terminology then a lot of those foods i mean it's gonna cause a lot of symptoms and Right, while we're working on getting to that root cause, you know, and addressing the SIBO, addressing the bacteria overgrowth, the dysbiosis, sometimes that can be beneficial from a short term aspect, but definitely we do need to try to incorporate a lot of those foods to feed the microbiome so we can, you know, get off of that and then have a higher quality of life.
1: You know what I see a lot as a doctor? um, These sort of extreme athletes. That really push themselves, and I mean, there's bodybuilders, there's fitness models, then there's endurance Me. <laughs> athletes. Um, endurance athletes are another real big one that people don't don't realize. When you when you're trying your hardest to make your physical appearance or your goals, your personal best, or whatever it is, and you really push your body, well, that actually changes the motility. Mm -hmm. So I get all these people coming in, and they're like, man, I was the best shape I've ever been. I did these three Ironmans. I was crushing it. I was going to do this. And then all of a sudden, I had to just bow out of the next race because every time I took any type of supplement, I'd have diarrhea or I'd bloat and then blah, blah, blah. Well, as we find that moving all the blood to the skeletal muscles or your body is going to do whatever it is that it's demanding, Well, it will divert blood away from your colon and from your intestines, and then that actually affects the microbiome also. So one of the cool things is that when you take these polyphenols, like atron you actually increase blood flow because it gets rid of reactive oxygen species and reactive nitrogen species and increases nitric oxide, which dilates your blood vessels. So even the intense athlete should be having a diet full of polyphenols because that will actually help you perform better.
0: That actually makes a lot of sense. And given that I was a very extreme athlete, a lot of my gut issues did begin when I was competing, when I was at very low percent body fat. Do you think a lot of that comes back to um, metabolism as well, too? Because I know with a lot of competitors I've worked with, and even myself, I mean, my thyroid got really, really low. I had very, very low thyroid, hypothyroidism. I had to get on medication for that. And I think that in and of itself caused also slow motility.
1: Yeah, what, Yeah. which came first, chicken or the egg? Did yeah. you create intestinal permeability that led to a thyroid issue? Yeah. Or was the thyroid going to happen and then led to intestinal permeability? And that's the thing. Obviously, I'm biased. Everything, you know, Everything's a nail to me because it all starts in the gut. So I would say that by stressing yourself you ended up having um, intestinal issues that led to thyroid issues. And then it becomes this vicious circle.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, What are your thoughts on probiotics? Mm.
1: So probiotics is a real tricky one because we know um, Eamon Quigley is the godfather of probiotics. At University of Nebraska, he was chair of the department when I was there. And this is a long time ago. He has been discussing probiotics 40, 50 years ago when nobody was thinking about this, nobody. And I saw him in a meeting a couple of years ago I, and I was like, hey, Eamon, where, where are we at with this? Is there anything new that I can say? And he goes, all we know is this, in a Petri dish, they do amazing things. They decrease inflammatory markers, they help with this. We have a very hard time replicating it in humans. Mm-hmm. So when you look at large meta-analysis where they pool all these studies together, probiotics, tend to not stand the test of time. So at six months, they tend to not be better than placebo in clinical studies. Like I tell all my patients, if it's working for you, awesome. Yeah. The problem is everybody I see, they don't work and they actually make people feel worse Mm -hmm. because when they take it, they actually increase the, it's like adding gasoline to the fire. Yeah. Uh, Satish Rao, Dr. Satish Rao out of Georgia did a really cool study where he checked the lactate levels in patients with irritable bowel, those taking probiotics and those not, and showed that those taking probiotics had higher lactate levels hmm. and they had more anxiety, more depression yeah. than the ones that were not. So sometimes it can cause some harm because people are like, eh, can't yeah. hurt. I'm going to take it anyways. Not necessarily. Sometimes it causes harm. Now, I've been um, become a big fan of spore-based biotics, and what that means is that the bacteria stays in its spore-based form. One of the reasons why we don't think it works very well is because probably they die on the way in.
0: The stomach acid?
1: Stomach acid, bile, and pancreatic juices. There's mm-hmm. a great example. As gastroenterologists, we get sold different probiotics to give to our patients. I won't say the name, but one of them you're supposed to refrigerate, and it's really expensive really expensive so they're like oh we have this probiotic it's so good you have to refrigerate it i
0: think i know what one you're talking about
1: yeah well if it can't survive room temperature how is it going to survive 98.8 degrees hmm. hmm yeah that's interesting yeah so you start thinking about this stuff you're like oh and then you start looking at the history of probiotics and the first one that came out was 1 billion colony forming units and then it just became a marketing game 1.5 billion 2 billion da-da-da-da-da.
0: that's just like a drop in the ocean too
1: that's the deal. It's hundreds of trillions that we actually have. Yeah. So can you get it to the colon? I was speaking with um, a scientist who was trying to develop a probiotic to correct C. diff, which is an infection in the colon. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it's incredible. It just wipes out C. diff. I'm like, that's amazing. I'm like, what's the hold up? He goes, well, the problem is in our mouse models, um, we're trying to, we're given the mouse per oral, it does nothing. Then we kept getting further down into the mouse where they would inject. He goes, the only time it works is when we inject it right oh. into the colon.
0: Okay. So that's so it's ton. just showing that a lot of the bacteria isn't even making it to Probably the area isn't. of the intestines where so we need it.
1: A spore-based biotic. What it does is it actually um, a company like Megaspore and and uh, the the CEO him and I um, we I did a podcast with him, which is why I'm, which is exactly what I think this show is going to be cool. You start bringing people on. You have a question. You wake mm-hmm. up one day and you're like. How does that happen? And find some expert, and you just bring yeah. them on. And so um, <laughs> got you on. Yeah, Kieran Krishnan um, explained what they do is they they found these these spore based biotics that have been around forever, and instead of trying to make keep them alive and grow them, and then you can just buy a bunch of bacteria and put them in a capsule and hope that they live, they stress them so that these particular bacteria, when they get stressed, they go into hibernation, and when they're hibernating then they can tolerate anything. And they've actually found spore-based biotics like that are thousands and thousands of years old and in the right environment, it'll wake up. So the idea is it'll survive everything. And then there's signals once it gets into the ileum, which is right by the colon, it goes, oh, we're getting close here. Hmm. Starts waking up and then it starts tapping other bacteria going, hey, we need to diversify. Remember when you said, how do you make your microbial diversity more? We need to diversify. So now we're talking polyphenols, feed them, and different ones say, Hey, wake up. We need to have more of you, less of you, and so on. You're letting Mother Nature do it for you so you don't overthink it. So that's how hmm. the, the probiotic that I put my patients on would so be you're a spore based ones. Very one.
0: specific. Yeah.
1: A spore-based ones that okay. I know. And I also want to make sure they have a certificate of analysis and all that so that you know what you're dealing with. But yeah, so probiotics are kind of controversial.
0: What about Saccharomyces boulardii, which essentially really isn't bacteria, but a yeast?
1: It's a yeast. Yeah. So I've had pretty good success with that, especially with die-off. Die-off, when people have SIBO and they take antibiotics or something, they feel sick, then Saccharomyces has been shown to kind of help with that. So Mm -hmm. I do use that. The problem with yeast in in the medical literature is that in certain people that they were using it on in the ICU, it developed fungemia, meaning that the yeast got into the blood and then the patient became sicker. So in certain situations, we don't use it anymore. If you're real sick, but I do I actually do use Saccharomyces. It's not, it's not something that is normally in you, and so it, yeah. it creates a response in your body that looks like it's beneficial.
0: Would that be something beneficial for someone to take on a regular basis, or mainly for like the die-off
1: reactions? Uh, I don't have a whole lot of patients taking it regularly, Okay. Uh, but that's just my practice. It's okay. I I I tend to help people. Most people have come in; they've already tried all these other things, so we always have to think outside the box. So okay. I have kind of a unique practice, and I don't have to reinstitute that kind of thing.
0: Okay, and I know you're also an expert in CBD, so I do want to talk a little bit about that too, and how that has an effect on inflammation, gut health, neurological effects. So Tell me a little bit about your CBD product and its benefits for your clients that you've seen.
1: So CBD, everywhere you look now, people are talking about it. They're trying to do different things. Yeah. It comes back to one thing. We have, which was discovered in the 90s, an endocannabinoid system. Just like you have a neurologic, just like you have a cardiovascular, just like you have a gastrointestinal, you have an endocannabinoid system, which is all through your body. I am 100% convinced that five years from now, you will be having an endocannabinologist on your show. Somebody who's a MD-trained, board-certified in endocannabinology. It's that complex.
0: It's so... Controversial right now, though. And do you think the reason is for that is because of a lot of the quality of CBD products? Because right now I can drive down the street and there's a CBD store that someone can go pick up and buy CBD. And I've had clients do that. And they're like, I don't notice any benefit. And I'm like, well, you're probably not on very good quality CBD, which I know that the type of CBD you use is of a different quality.
1: Well, the CBD yeah. that I use. So they have shown that over 80% of the CBDs that are on the market um, do not have what's on the label. Which, is, mm. which seems shocking, but that's actually kind of what the industry in a whole does. Like
0: CBD coffee that you can get now like uh, in the store. All that stuff,
1: yeah. <laughs> so CBD uh, cannabidiol is mm. just one molecule in a full-spectrum hemp product. So this comes from hemp, which means it is legal, but it was just recently, due to a farm bill passing, like within the last two years, it has become more widely available. Where And that's how it started popping up everywhere. You just saw people, it's like this craze. You go in there and say, can you tell me about CBD? It fixes this, it fixes that, it fixes that. How does it do that? It just does. Well, the science is actually pretty cool. So when you have a high-quality CBD that is full spectrum, meaning that it also has polyphenols in it. So hemp has polyphenols, um, which they are referred to as flavonoids in there. And then they have these things called terpenes, mm-hmm. which are essential oils. And essential oils d- doesn't mean that you need it to live. It's not essential. It is the essence of the oil. Okay. So you have CBD, you've got terpenes, you've got polyphenols. And what they do is they just help your body improve its own endocannabinoids. So your, your um, endocannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system You're producing them, but when you go through poor sleep, eat a bad diet, have inflammation, or take drugs, Mm -hmm. the exact same thing that we're talking about, gut health, then your body will shift and you will produce less of your own endocannabinoids, meaning that these endocannabinoids, all they do is they work like a traffic cop. So, if you're a presynaptic vessel, so think of it like this it's an electrical current in your endocannabinoid system. You're the presynaptic, meaning it's gonna come this way, and nothing in the body slows down the activity. That's what the endocannabinoid system does. It's there to be a traffic cop. It'll say, come on more, or you need to calm down, which is why so many different things can be benefited by this. For mm-hmm. me, Anxiety. When uh, yeah. since I started, same it, for me. My anxiety is markedly better. For my staff, Diana, you've met Diana. Mm-hmm. She sleeps better. For Niz, her skin cleared up. And so it's one of it's almost like a micronutrient. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is is that the full spectrum does a lot of different things. They bind to a lot of different receptors, but the CBD itself just allows your body to not break down your own endocannabinoids. And the science gets really thick, really, really thick. But like all things, in my opinion, science, if you can make sense of it, is what actually sells. So I teamed up with a company where I can at least say, is it organically grown? Check. I'm going to check that box. Is this um, something that has a certificate of analysis? Check. Is it full spectrum? Check. And so you go through this list of things you want to make sure, and then you know that you have this... High quality product, so that's how come I have so many of my patients that have tried. They've driven into some other place and said, "Oh," or, or their neighbor sold yeah. them because it's a multi-level marketing thing. And I'm like, "That's okay. Just take this." The biggest thing is you need to replete your own endocannabinoids, so it may take take some time. So commit to it, like all things. It's like a diet. Don't eat one plant-based, you know, or increase plant with grass-fed meat, and go. Well, that did nothing. I mean, commit to it. And so when you commit to something like that, you're allowing your body to heal itself. So that's where I really got into it. Then, so like
0: being on the CBD long-term? Is that what you mean by commit to it?
1: Well, I'm saying that people want immediate effects.
0: Okay, yeah. And so
1: even with Atron-Teal, um, I, we know in our studies it's going to take 10 to 20 days because this is what happens. With almost every single drug outside of ibuprofen yeah. or something like that, where you're like, oh, my headache's gone, it's going to happen. The reason why I got into CBD is because the polyphenols in atron actually block the enzyme that breaks down your own endocannabinoids. Hmm. And so that's when I went, whoa, this is really cool. So combining the two, I've just had tremendous success. That
0: was my next question is mm-hmm. if you see a lot of benefit combining the Autrantil and the CBD.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's how come I, I call it my signature package or I'm like, just take them both. And the gut benefits, the endocannabinoid benefits, it all plays together and it all comes down to one thing. Your endocannabinoid system is primarily in your neurologic and in your immune system. Both things that we've been talking about this whole time. Neurologic and immune. So if you can traffic cop it, slow it down a little bit, then you're going to get better.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, that has been incredible information, Dr. Brown. So where can people learn more about the CBD that you promote with your... um, Practice as well as teal because I know I'm going to have a lot of listeners today <laughs> who are definitely interested in teal Gut health is my area where I get a lot of people who reach out to me for, so I know that's going to be something that a lot of my listeners will be interested in.
1: Yeah, just go to KBMD, Ken dot health.com, and there you can see what we have going on. We're going to continually add a bunch of new information, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, you can also go to atrantil.com to learn deep dive into atrantil. That's a t r a n t i l.com. Uh, but both those places at um, at KBMD Health on Instagram is uh, the other place. We have a, a podcast where we try and bring in these experts yeah. and things like that. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you guys, I'm going to also be posting my affiliate code. So you can go check out Altrantil. I'll, I'll post the link here, link here below. Um, but thank you so much well, we for need coming make sure on. That, <laughs> we need to
1: make sure that everybody uses your yeah. code. She needs it to feed Lily here. Oh. So go <laughs> use her code and, uh, so Lily can eat.
0: <laughs> totally can eat. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys enjoyed today's podcast, do me a favor: hit the subscribe button, share it with a friend, leave a review. I always love hearing you guys' podcast and thank you again so much for making time to come on here. Thank you. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, I love to geek out.
0: So. Yeah, me too. And this has been sheer madness.